Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Finally, finally we have our friend John Barrows. Uh, we were scheduling him all the way back in February or March, one of the first people we wanted to do. And a uh, good friend of ours, also one of the busiest people we know, and of course we're always going to accommodate him. Um, as Scott likes to tell me, I'm very respectful of John's calendar, but not Scott's, so I apologize, Scott. I'll, I'll, I'll find <laughs> bullshit. Uh, as we frame this conversation today, it is uh, it is June the 4th, 2020, so we're in the middle of the, the global pandemic, as well as um, this entire race relation uh, piece that's happening, not just here in the U.S., but it's now global. Um, mm. So I think that's probably going to be where our conversations go today. Normally, we talk about sales and sales things, and maybe we can talk about what you do, but I think we'd be idiots to not talk about what's really happening in the world. So anyway, long introduction, John, thanks for, for coming on. And clearly the timing was right. Cause I think a lot of people want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I mean, this, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel good that I'm on this podcast for uh, finally got here. And, and I promise you one of these days, I promise you, I will get to surf and sales. I, 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 it's on my list. I don't know if it's this year. Cause obviously how fucked up this year is, uh, but, but it's on my list. I promise I'll get there one of these days. Well, we don't, <clears throat> we don't know if, uh, we'll be able to have a surf and sales again yeah. here with everything going on, but, um, yeah. I do feel, I feel pretty encouraged and Richard and I have talked about this, but I think it'll be a long time before people are comfortable going to conferences with hundred thousand people in, a, in, you know, the Cow Palace or wherever they have them in San Francisco mm -hmm. and places like that. Um, so hopefully, hopefully people, you know, are, are looking to go to events and, and get some travel and kind of combine a vacation with a learning opportunity and kind of experiential type event like ours. So, Maybe we're uh, maybe we'll be well positioned when all this is over. So we'd obviously love to have you. Yeah, no, man. I think the 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 cool thing. I mean, the silver lining of this whole mess we're in, as far as the pandemic is concerned, we'll talk about the relation relations, which is a total nightmare. But the pandemic piece, at least for me, <clears throat> like Richard, you know, and and Scott, we've talked about this. Like I, I've been for ten years trying to get off of an airplane. And I've been doing a piss poor job at it, right? Daughter's nine years old. Always like that's the biggest thing that stresses me out and bums me out. And I've been, I was doing all right, but then all of a sudden this thing hit and it forced a full like, okay. And as bad as it was for me, like it ripped 70% of my revenues away from me. Like I we were going for 4 million this year and 70% of that was going to be on site. And it, that just got ripped right away from me, which sucked, but it forced me to reassess what my business plan was, what my priorities were and everything else. And now I couldn't be happier. I mean, yeah, I'm working my ass off and my schedule's nuts and I'm doing a ton of remote trainings, but I'm home every night with my daughter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I couldn't be happier. So <laughs> I actually hope it doesn't go back, Scott. I hope it doesn't go back to major conferences. I hated them anyways. <laughs> I hate it, you know, that type of shit. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm cool, man. But the other thing too, John, is that, you know, because I've done the same thing is it's forced you and I to revamp our training approach, right? Oh, yeah. How do we take this, you know, you know, you were my mentor in terms of the, the online stuff and the portal and, and getting that up and running. But now how do we do this live? And I've, you know, I've completely adjusted. I know you've completely adjusted. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a totally different kind of program, um, which is great. And it's, you know, it's so much as it continues to grow, the buyer journey has changed and now they're willing to do it. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's interesting to see how, what the buyer journey will look like 
after this is over, from what, from what you and I do, right? Totally. Scott is the genius of both of us because he's built his entire consulting business about not traveling. How do yep. I make money and never have to get on a plane? Yep. <laughs> and he's yeah, playing catch up. Playing catch up. I will say that just to just to chime in briefly, and this is for everybody listening. Um, I'm a big believer right now uh, that agility is the new competitive advantage. So agile, right? Which like for companies that are able to adjust, right? The ones who are just sitting and trying to wait this out and staying, you know, structured with their existing business model and all that other stuff, they're going to lose, period. The ones that are being agile to adjust and, and to this new norm, if you will, whatever that means, uh, agility in general moving forward is going to be the, is, is going to be the biggest competitive advantage. And so what we're seeing right now from a prospecting standpoint, uh, I mean, just nuggets and tips, like the the highest response rate we get right now. Cause in a growth economy, it's all about, you know, profit, you know, revenue growth and blah, 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 whatever corporate vision shit. But now in a down economy, it's about uh, cost cutting and efficiencies, but agility. And so what we're doing right now when prospecting, putting agile in the pro in the, in the subject line and then making some sort of connection to their business about how we can help them become more agile. And that to me, and, and that is by far our highest response rate, by the way, and so I think that to your point, Richard, like it's forced a lot of companies to reset what their approach is. And the ones who are doing that are the ones I think are going to come out of this actually stronger. I, I, have, I, have, I have confidence that I'm going to be, my team is going to come out of this actually stronger than we were coming, coming into it. Yeah. <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things I've been really focused on over the last couple of months is, is shrinking the delta between idea and action. Yep. <clears throat> I've talked about talked about this before and this speaks to the agility that that you were just talking about how do you how are you balancing like being thoughtful and measured and strategic with not sitting on your hands and doing nothing and, and being yep. agile and kind of quick to, quick to quick to move in the next direction i have shifted i've always been more like get shit done. Like one of my, if you look at my disc profile and everything else, like the one thing I think I've been blessed with, if I'm, I'm definitely not the smartest cat out there by any stretch, but it's, um, it's to be able to look at things with, uh, with, with very few data points and be able to make a decision. So that's always been a strength of mine. I bought my house in like 15 minutes. No joke. My, my wife and I walked in here, the biggest purchase of my entire life. I walked in my house. I looked around. I was like, yeah, this is pretty pimp. You know, and I kind of put two and two together. I was like, this is good. And then like I sat home and I was like, oh my, like at my apartment, I'm like, wait a minute, what did I just do? I'm like, I spent more time thinking about my underwear than I did this house. <laughs> but you know, shit like that worked, right? Uh, when, when I, when, and, and Richard knows this, when Basho fired us all. So Basho, I worked for the training company Basho. They fired us. And everybody else freaked out. Like everybody else went into the mindset of what, and I wrote a blog post on this one called stop doing what you're supposed to do. Cause I think so many people are stuck in this realm of what they're supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? And so what happened was when they fired us all, everybody was like, Oh my God, I don't have a job. I need to go get, uh, I don't have healthcare. I don't have, I got to go find a new job. I looked at it and I said, wait a minute, this guy just walked away from what was a 10, a $3 million business. Uh, an immediate revenue stream with a product that everybody loves. So to me, that was opportunity, not risk, right? So I think now I'm, I'm, I guess I'm strategic, but I'm way more like, let's try this shit out. Because if you are not agile right now, and con like I tell people all this time, you've got to be a scientist right now with what you do. You have to be looking at every fucking data point you can possibly look at to find trends of what's working and what's not, right? 
But I'm going to contradict you, right? So sure, you just sure. said, hey, I'm really good at not having all the data points. Now you're telling us no, to no, no. look at the data. No, no, no. I said I'm not, good. I'm not great, at, I'm not great at, at like, I don't typically look at all the data points like, and, and overanalyze stuff as far as like analysis paralysis. You know what I mean? Like some people get locked in. Uh, there's too much information here. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, there's enough. But I do think to a certain degree right now, not necessarily to make big strategic decisions, it's to make short-term decisions, right? Like we're doing scrums weekly right now. I'm asking, I'm having my team every single conversation that they have. I'm, at, I'm, I'm telling, we're keeping a Google Doc. Forget about Salesforce. I'm, I'm keeping a Google Doc here of who did you talk to? What was their title? What industry were they in? And what was the outcome of that conversation? Oh, and by the way, where did that conversation come from? Right? Why not so the, in Salesforce? Just, just out of curiosity. I, just because I, because I, I don't, like, we're moving to it, but I want to get it in Excel format to figure out exactly what I want to be looking at. And then in we're Salesforce. taking that. Yeah. And then we're going to take it and try to try to simplify it in Salesforce. So we're actually right in the middle of doing that right now. I want to go back to what you said, because it goes back to what Scott was saying too, about, you know, shortening this Delta, which is stop doing what you're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. right now. Right. Like keep, give people more example. If I'm an SDR, if I'm an AE, right. How do I take that sort of idea um, or even a manager yep. and, and, and try to implement that in my day to day granted our day-to-day -day is completely fucking different than it has ever totally. been. All right. I'll give you some tactical stuff here. Um, I'll, we'll give, I'll give you some examples of how I came to this conclusion for myself and then super tactical stuff of what people can do. Uh, I were personal and professional P personal life, uh, junior, uh, sophomore year in college, met this girl, uh, seven years later, we were engaged. I brought her up to Boston, right? All that other stuff. And I didn't, I knew it wasn't right. I knew the relationship wasn't right, but what do you do when you're with somebody for seven years, right? You get engaged, right? And then you get married, then you buy a house, then you have a kid. Like that's what you're supposed to do. And we were engaged and I knew it wasn't right. And she ended up breaking it off with me. And it, for like the first two days, I was like, oh my God, woe is me. But then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, like this weight that lifted off my shoulders was incredible. And it was literally the best thing that could ever happen to me, right? Now I'm happily married, right? All that. Same thing with business. Thrive Network started a company, got acquired by Staples. I, I was, I, I obviously, I am not a corporate guy, right? And I am in the corporate of all corporate Staples, okay? I mean, I've, the joke of them is they, they invented red tape, right? And I fucking hated every minute of it, but I was fighting it. I was fighting it because I wanted to win. And even though I knew it was wrong, and eventually they fired me. And it was like, again, devastated for two days, woke up. Wait a minute, that's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So those two instances forced me to rethink everything and say, stop doing what you're supposed to do. And so I'll give you a quick example for SDRs and BDRs right now. I know for a fact that there are still managers out there telling their reps to make 50 dials a day and probably actually increasing that number to, because, they, because the numbers are down, the results are down, so they want to kick the activity level up. Phone right now is a fucking nightmare. I mean, nightmare. Nobody's picking up. I'm talking to executive after executive after executive, asking them, hey, are you have, do you have your uh, work phones forwarded to your cell phone at home? No. Okay. Do you check your voicemails? Yeah. When? Once a week, usually around Friday. So wait a minute. The, the VP of sales, who you'd think out of any executive that would have their phone forwarded to their cell phone, right? You'd think the VP of sales would be the number one, right? If Every one of them I'm talking to. And J James came to me a couple of weeks ago and he said, John, I've made a thousand phone calls in the past 
you know, uh, two or three weeks here, I, nobody's picking up. And when they pick up, they're super pissed. So what you're supposed to do, that's a lazy manager thing to tell your reps to make 50 dials a day and just beat them over the head with that as opposed to coaching them. So if I'm a rep being asked to make 50 dials or hit a certain metric that I just think is bullshit, instead of telling my boss, I think it's bullshit. I'm going to do my boss. I'm going to do what my boss is going to ask me to do, but I'm also going to think about a more strategic, thoughtful approach. And I'm going to sit there and say, you know what? I'm going to take one day. I'm going to take a beating from my boss who's going to yell at me. But instead of making 50 dials, I'm going to go do research on accounts. I'm going to send some video emails. I'm going to be very thoughtful with my outreach. And I'm going to see what happens there. So at the end of the week or at the end of the month, I can come to my boss and say, look, I did it your way. And I made my 50 dials. And this is the results. And I did it this way. And this way, I actually produced 10 times better results. And it, but my activity was level was way down. Which one do you want me to do here? You know what I mean? Like, so that's what I'm saying is like, yes, you kind of, in some cases have to do what you're supposed to do or else your boss is going to fire you. But in other cases, take that extra edge and, and start doing something different. Try different things and, and constantly be trying new things to see what's working and what's not. Because look, what worked last week, what worked last month isn't working anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just not. And you, and we were talking <clears throat> before we started recording about, a really actually a really powerful adjustment that that you made in your schedule and you just kind of yep. rolled it out to to your team so I, i'd love for you to repeat you know yeah. some of that some of that story because i think it's it's really powerful yeah i mean it, it goes back to like oh man I'm, I'm working hard like i was i was my team i love my team they you know and they doubled down when this thing right when we lost 70 percent of our revenue it was like everybody went boom heads down how can we figure this shit out we're launching our new online platform and everything else and they were working absurd hours and so was i you know what i mean i was i mean march and march and april i mean <laughs> i had all sorts of on-site sessions scheduled right and those immediately got canceled. So I had to flip to on the remote. So like Richard said, like restructured how I deliver training. Now, instead of one day on site, it's three two-hour sessions with homework assignments in between each one of them. And when I tell you, and these were APAC and EMEA sessions. So when I tell you for March and April, from six o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, every two fucking hours, I'm saying the same shit over and over and over again. I mean, I was going delusional by the time I was at, you know what I mean? So I was working so hard and I'm like, and what I realized was I was really getting stressed out for a lot of reasons and it was reflecting on my family and everything else. And so I said, you know what? I'm, I, I need a day. I need my day. And that's what I labeled it. It's, it's Fridays are now my days. And, and, and I did that about a month and a half ago. And what it was, was a lot of us don't control, really control our schedules. We let our clients, you know, schedule meetings. We have internal meetings and all that other stuff. And yeah, we try to be strategic with it, but whatever. But I never had a day of, of, of mine that I could, I dictated what happened, right? Because even on the weekends, I'm with my family. You know what I mean? I don't dictate that. My wife and daughter dictate that. We're like, whatever my, pretty much whatever my daughter wants to do, I'm doing it, right? Because I want to be with her and hang out. And so I'm, I said, fuck it, Friday. And I, I think back to like a um, four-hour work week and all that other stuff about how I remember how he was going crazy with emails and then said, you know what? I he put an autoresponder. I respond to emails twice a day, once at 10 o'clock in the morning, once at four o'clock in the afternoon. If you need something between those hours, call my cell phone. Nobody called his cell phone. Uh, then he did once a day. Hey, I check my emails once a day. It's four o'clock. If you need something before or after that, call my cell phone. And then he went to the ridiculous of four hours a week, which I think is absurd. But, but that, that, that clicked to me that we 
put artificial things on ourselves about deadlines, about things we have to get done. Look, at the end of the day, we sell shit, okay? We're not brain surgeons here. We're not freaking emergency room doctors. If, if, we don't, if somebody doesn't get a proposal by the end of the day, we're not gonna, you know what I mean? The world isn't gonna end. And I think we just need to accept, realize that what is really important, that's again a, a hope that I have right now of this, this whole mess that we're in is that people get recentered on what's really important. And to me, what's really important is a my sanity, but also just having a little bit more control. And so we put together my days and what was happening was I adjusted. So Fridays, I still work. I still, but, but I dictate. So if I want to have a meeting, fine, I'll agree to that. But you can't schedule a meeting on my calendar on Fridays. Uh, if I got to catch on my admin stuff, that's the day I do it. If I want to go take a walk around the block, if I want to go out with my daughter for the rest of the afternoon, I'm doing it on Fridays, Right. And, and it just gave me this, like, so today, what, what time is it? It's, it's, two, it's, it's 2.45 on Thursday, even, on Thursday afternoon here in Boston. This is the end of my week. I couldn't be happier about that. And so it gave me this, this feeling of, I, I have some control back. And so because it was working so well for me on Monday's sales team call, or I'm sorry, on Monday's t- company meeting call, I told everybody, I sent, actually the, on Sunday night, I sent everybody an invite for Fridays. It says my day, recurring meeting called my day on Fridays. And they were like, what's this? I'm like, I'll tell you on Monday. I'm like, just accept it. Trust me, accept it. <laughs> and they were like, okay. I go, look, I'm putting in a policy. We don't have policies here at J Barrows. Like, I'm, you know, I'm not like a corporate, right? But I was like, I am putting in a policy here at JB Sales. Fridays are your day. Do whatever the fuck you want to do with Fridays, but you, and you can work if you want to. You don't, have to. you don't even have to use it if you don't want to. But I encourage you to take that day for yourself. Effectively here at JB Sales, we have a four-day work week, and that's it. That's all I'm expecting. Find, do you find yourself working later each day those other four days, or do you actually find yourself working smarter? And I'm still shutting it down at five or six o'clock. So... I have an unhealthy lifestyle. Uh, I, I've I've never not worked until two o'clock in the morning. I, I'm my for I, I I don't I'm not bragging about this in any way, shape, or form. I wish it was different. I just what I what I I've always I mean since this business uh, you know I'll work all day. I'll stop at six o'clock because that's when the nanny goes home, and then from six to nine o'clock it's with my wife and daughter. Uh, my daughter goes to bed at nine o'clock. The laptop comes open at nine and my wife's the same. So we're both kind of twisted. Um, she's a night owl. Actually, she, she'll stay up to three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Um, I usually go to bed by midnight and get up at 5am and start it all over again. But I'll usually, the laptop goes open and at least from, from nine to 12, I'm working anyways, cause there's always something to do. Um, and I'd rather do that quite honestly and invest in my business and myself than watch fucking Netflix. Like I, don't, I could give a shit what's on TV. Yeah. That, that's an interesting that's an interesting dynamic there because like <clears throat> people, people will give you grief, literal grief for working too long and too hard, nine to midnight or whatever, but they're totally comfortable and feel better if you were to tell them that you just watched like three or four episodes of some TV show 100%. and sat on the couch. I've, yeah. I've, never really un- I've never really understood that before. I don't uh, either. Yeah. It's a, I, a I, mindset. I can, you know, I get it. I commend you for I commend you for going the. John, the are you? That's great, John. I, and I don't remember when you were growing up. Were you an athlete? Like, did you play a lot of? Sports? <laughs> I was uh, slightly above. I've always said. I was slightly above average at a lot of things. I was not very good at anything. Uh, but I, you know, I played basketball. I played soccer. Uh, I did you, um, ingrain, did you ingrain extra practice into your schedule early in your life? Like I know yeah, Scott, I lo- he's, a, he's a collegiate athlete. Right. Well, so, cause, yeah, because I liked it. I, right. 
I loved basketball. I loved playing ball. I sucked at, I mean, I didn't suck. I was okay at it. Right. But I, I just really enjoyed playing ball. So I would be out in my driveway playing ball all the time, you know, soccer. Yeah. I, I run a few extra laps, that type of so stuff. You dominated the five, 10 and under league is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, well, I was six foot. So I was, uh, I was, I was, I was probably, you know, there was a lot of expectations on me in basketball being a six foot, but I, I, I wasn't a good point guard. So I wasn't a tall point guard and I sucked down low. So I was a three guard. I could shoot the three, but that was about it. So I think we're, I think we're all trying to find ways to come to terms with everything that's happening and keep, keep our sanity and everything. I haven't gone the extra mile that you did, but I recently condensed my calendar is availability from 10 AM to 3 PM. And that's it. Yeah. Because for the first couple months of, of all this going on, I was, on phone calls or Zooms at eight o'clock in the morning and not getting off until nine. And my kids were getting pissed at me. My wife is getting pissed at me. Um, and so that, that's really, that's really helped. And at least I know I can, I can do things with my family in the morning. Yep. I can have, you know, some time in the afternoon. Um, and if I want to work, then they're my meetings. Yeah. I, I called them or, or exactly. I, I controlled it rather than, than somebody else. I think, I think we're all trying to find ways to, take control of our situation and own our own narrative right now, you know? And so I think that's important. Uh, real quick, Richard, real quick, because I want to point on that because Morgan and I were having this conversation about how fucked up things are. And, and I think there's this, there's this sadness right now and there's this like un unrest, at least for me, because there's such a helpless feeling. There's such like this, the, the problems are so massive that you, you can easily get into the point of like, what the fuck can I do to change this? And, and once you get into that helpless situation, it spirals out of, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you're in depression. And, and thankfully, I've never had depression. Thankfully, I, I, my, my internal stuff, like I don't, that's not in me, thank God. Uh, I know Richard, you've struggled with that your whole life and that type of thing. So it's just, but I think a big part of that is that you just don't feel like you can control anything. You know what I mean? Like you just, when you feel like you can't make a difference or you can't control something, you start to feel helpless and therefore you start to go into this hole. And I think if we start to figure out small ways that we can, of what we can control, I mean, this is what you guys have heard me before. Like uh, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, like the first time, uh, the first election, okay? My wife and I were like, what the fuck? Like, oh, this is ridiculous, right? And it was, it was impacting my daughter. Like, you could tell. Like, we, I was watching the news all the time, and, you, like, and she was starting to get ornery and mad and all this. And so I was like, holy shit, stop, okay? And we came up with this little acronym, which is, as you guys have heard, you know, E-A-T. Focus on what you can control, which is effort, attitude, and how you treat people. And I keep coming back to that in the sense that, that's what I can control. I can't control what's happening on the news. I can't control what's happening out there of other people's opinions or anything like that. What I can control is how hard I work, the effort that I put in, my attitude as far as positive or negative, and how I treat people, right? And right now, I can control that. I can control walking down the street and saying, looking at somebody and saying hello, hope you're having a nice day. You know what I mean? I can try to put a smile on somebody else's face. I can control that. I can't control what's going on on the television. And that to me, I think is that, 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 that holding on to what you're saying there, Scott, as far as pulling back some type of control that, that, that we can feel like we're doing something. I think it, that's the least where I can wake up and feel okay that I'm not going to fucking go into a dark hole right now. So, which, which is a, a, 
a segue moment. And I agree with you. And, and to your point, that is what depression's like, except it's there all the time. So uh, thank you for recognizing it and, and talking about it um, and, and, and acknowledging it. Um, how are you, aside from the COVID stuff, right? We yeah. have we have this this massive problem in the world and, and in the states. How are you handling that, right? And and look, we are three white guys, and and uh, it's awkward for us to sit here and try and talk about it and you know preach to people. Um, I actually just did a session this morning that that I'm going to release shortly with with Morgan and Henry Fraser and Galem and uh, you know a lot of people. Uh, this woman Stacy from Sales Loft, um, as well as some some Caucasian people just talk about it. How are you even addressing it yourself, right? Morgan works for you or where yeah. you define it. How are you guys talking about it and, and what are you experiencing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's such a, because I, I have so many people, I mean, outside of my own personal morals and, and how, like, what the fuck, like, um, I, I have some people, I have personally some people who are, directly being impacted by this you know what i mean like morgan is being directly impacted this my my nephew my sister's son he's black kid his dad's from africa like he's scared shitless right now um i have friends you know some of them i know better than others uh some of them i've grown up with in high school and i'm done with tolerating the 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 subdued sexism the subdued racism that was an inflection point for me where it is no longer okay for me to just not just not be racist and not say anything. I think it's now incumbent upon us as, as, as people who give a shit to speak out against it, not just be against it. Yeah. And that's really where I think we need, that's what I'm, that's how I'm like Morgan and I and our team are all talking about how we can actually do something that will make a difference at a, even at the smallest level you know what i mean getting involved with local schools um we're going to give our stuff away to, you know for certifications to help you know underprivileged kids and, and people of color get jobs right that type of stuff we need to stop i think like oh what can we do we're here to support you and actually do some shit and yeah you know what some of us are going to do some dumb shit some of us are going to do things that we think are the right thing that aren't but as long as you're coming from a good place and you're trying to make a positive impact and a positive difference, you got to do it right now. You have to do it right now because this shit's got to stop. It's just got to stop. Yeah. And, it's, and it's unfortunately, you know, you look macro and this is where I come close to depression, Richard, is, is when I start thinking about all the bigger picture stuff about how the judges are being funneled through and most of them are fucking racist and how that's just going to continue to compound the problem and how the environment is going to probably affect people of color way more than it is and how COVID is actually, you know what I mean? When I start thinking about that type of shit, that's when I start to go into my hole. But I know what I can control. I know I can control the people around me, my friends, the people who I used to tolerate and think are okay, you know, thought it was kind of okay. Um, but now it's not. It's just not. So that's, that's I'll, you know, and, and I'm going to scream about it. The, the, the one thing that I would add to that is um, I've been having a lot of these uncomfortable conversations as well um, and removing people from my, my life. But I, I've been explaining to them why. You know, um, in in real kind of serious, powerful ways, like this is why I, I can't talk to you anymore. This is why I can't be associated with you anymore. Because um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cool with any of this stuff. And to be honest with you, I've never been cool with it. But I've been complicit in that's the not, problem. But not, I've been complicit in not like stopping you or doing right. more to stop you. 
And that's and my problem. In, in the same way as you, like I've been guilty of that and I'm, I'm fucking done with, yep. with that. I'm not going to be on the wrong side of that. Um, so when I've been removing people, I've been explaining to them, this is why you're getting deleted. You know, and, and if you want to have a real conversation about things and, and take a fresh approach and try to understand each other, then then I'm all I'm here for that. But if you're not into that, it's, it's a wrap. I'm out. Yeah. You know? And by the way, let's not have that conversation on Facebook. Right. You know I, what I mean? Hey, I, you want to take you want to talk about taking action. I deleted my Facebook there you go. last weekend because I, I, I will no, I will no longer sit by and, 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 and watch that platform be used to divide everybody so i didn't want to participate in it is is that is that one action by me gonna make a big difference no probably not but it's one thing that i can control to your point and you know i felt good about about doing that and that, that was something that worked for me and you know the difference that's gonna make scott though the difference that's gonna make is your mental health that'll help you be a better person to treat other people because i don't know about you when i let out facebook i get mad I yes. get mad exactly. and I, and I will wow. jump in. I will jump into threads and be like, fuck you, you piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. And I'll go on. And then after like three or four times back while I'm sitting on the shitter doing that, I'll be like, what am I doing? I've been on the shitter here for 30 minutes arguing some dick bag who's fucking somewhere. And like, I don't even know where they are. You know what I mean? Like what the hell is I doing here? Right. So I'm a worse person when I'm on Facebook. I know it. I'm a worse person when I watch the news. I know it. I'm a better person when I'm off of Facebook. I'm a better person when I'm not watching the news and yep. controlling what I can control. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. The, the, the piece that I've been focusing on is aside from my self-education is also educating other people. And I'm trying, you know, there are certain things I'm moving away from, you know, I'm reading white frugality, which I think is sort of the soup du jour right now. Like everybody's reading it, everybody's running to it, which is great, yep. but I don't want to just repeat what I'm hearing in a book. Like I think it's different. Mm -hmm. So the thing I'm, I'm talking to people about, and I even asked Morgan this morning about it, um, is, is qualified immunity, um, which is a legal precedence yep. for those who are listening who don't understand, don't know, and someone can correct me if I get it wrong. It's a legal precedence that basically says if there's been no court case specific to this type of situation, we cannot actually apply any kind of legal ramification. And they go through these tons and tons of, of cases. One of them stuck out to me is about this woman who's African-American, seven months pregnant, and the daughter with her car pulled over with, by the cops. Um, and they asked her to get out of the car. And she said, look, I, you know, she disagreed with why they were going to ask her to get out of the car. Um, and she, all they did was say you were pulled over speeding. And, and the cops literally sit here and have a conversation. Well, we're going to have to taser. Where do we taser? Because she's pregnant. Well, let's make sure we taser in the arm and in the leg. And this is what they do. And then they drag her out of the car. Well, what happens in the court system is that the judges follow this doctrine of, well, there's never been a case around whether or not that's legal. So we can't say that this is legal. Now, what's interesting is that, again, as I understand it, this, this you know, immunity that's being applied is was never created by an actual legal institution that would vote it on it. Meaning it was never done by Congress. It was never done by a state. Right. It's a federal thing that was created by the judiciary, which we all know, you know, depending on what side you like, you know, we don't want the judiciary to make laws, right? Like that's not their job. And they say that yet here they are sort of creating one or not interpreting it the right way. And so this is what's behind the lip service of, 
well, we need to teach each case on its merits, right? That's how politicians can get away with this is that like we have to measure it on each, you know, each merit. Everybody had a fair and equal trial. Well, actually you didn't because a law that's not really a law was not applied properly. So for me, this is sort of where I'm put planting my flag is to make sure people understand this so that when we say, well, just because we vote people in, we still got to tell them what to do when they get there. We just don't really tell them. <clears throat> the, so, the so issue though is around all this stuff that's happening right now. The issue though is, and I think education needs to come in the sense of how to vote and who to vote for. Yep. The only people that it like, what do we have? Like a 20% vote in up for the presidency, right? Something like that. Some sad number of like 20% of our population actually does vote for the presidency, but that is way bigger. More now It's a lot more now in the last okay. 12 years. Okay. So regardless, right. But how many vote for the, the judge uh, of their local, right. of their city? You know what I mean? How no. many show up? How many don't even know when those votes happen? So if we were to go all the way down to what is your schedule of voting in your town for these things and in your state for these things and broadcast that to everybody, there might be an opportunity for people to actually vote in people who weren't politicians, weren't like forced through the system, that type of stuff. And maybe just maybe because that I will tell you out of all the shit, but outside of the climate change, which I'm just horrified about and we're screwed. But outside of that, the the. um the judges out of all this distraction of what we're going on, they are cramming judges through the system, just cramming them. And that is, those are lifetime positions, lifetime positions for people who have no qualifications and are coming from a very skewed viewpoint. That's what scares me the most. And so I, that's the part that I'm planting my flag in is figuring how do we figure that out? How do we get that to change and, and, and pull root that evil out? One of the, one of the, we were talking to before about, um, and I've been using this phrase, sort of like action, not words. One of the things that we might be able to do collectively, the three of us and Morgans of the world and Kevin's of the world mm -hmm. and others, um, you know, we have, we have it in our ability through the power of our network to <clears throat> cast a wide net and, and our audience is sizable collectively mm -hmm. in particular. Um, I would love to, kind of push us all to step up an initiative and, and take on some, you know, um, some black sales men mentees, if you will, maybe even find a way to put together a day's worth of, of free sales training where we give people access to, you know, the experiences and knowledge that we have and the things that we've been through at no cost to them. And, um, you know, just try to try to uplift them a little bit, right? And yep. and give them a little, you know, boost in their career wherever wherever they're at. Um, so I think that that's that's one thing that we might be able to do. It's a small thing in the grand scheme of the world, but you know, if we can help amplify um, the voices of of some of the African American, um, you know, sales leaders that are out there, if we can help grow the skill set of of folks who you know, maybe you haven't had access to uh, some of the trainings that we can deliver. Uh, you know, it's, it's one small step, but, you know, it, we play a part in, in bettering the community. And as white men, this is something that we can do and can control um, that I think benefits, you know, the sales community and profession as a whole. And so, you know, I would, I would love if 
if you guys kind of join me on that and at some point in time we put our put our heads together here and totally. maybe, maybe we can make an event out of it i mean i i took on 10 private coaching clients um that are black salesmen and women this month for june um no cost to them i got flooded with messages and I was really encouraged to get messages from other white sales leaders and VPs out there who said, Hey, give me some of the overflow that, mm-hmm. that you had. And I, you know, connected guys like Dale Dupree to, you know, some of these folks. So, um, I think it would be, I think it'd be a good move on all of our part to, to give something back and do something, you know, that that's one, that's one thing that we can do to your point. Yeah. We're, we're actively talking to Morgan right now. I, I, you know, whether it's a weekly thing, um, we were going to do a, a weekly free training uh, and give them access to our online content so they can get, because we're, go- we're getting big into certifications now so that the certification then can be put on their resume so it can help them get jobs type of stuff. So not only the skills, but the exposure of the, the certification of a certain type of training in this space, right? Um, and that's so with our new on-demand platform, like, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but what I was thinking is, and, and whoever's going to lead it, whether it's Morgan or whatever, but not only like a free training Friday, but a free training Friday with very specific topics, right? So, cause we got to get into the stuff of like, how do you interview? You know, I know Morgan and Amy were talking about that, uh, Amy Volas, right? About, Hey, like h- how should you interview as a, you know, person of color, in a white organization with a white manager and those type of things. Like, how do you navigate that? How do you ask for a promotion in that type of environment? It's a lot of the same stuff that, you know, I mean, when we did the, we need to talk thing with, uh, for, for women in sales with Trish Bertuzzi and Lori Richardson, it was a lot of that stuff is, is the same similar issues that, that they face is like the, the culture itself, the, the verbiage on how, uh, you know, the job descriptions are written, like all that stuff is real stuff that, that like, if we, if we open people's eyes to what that is and do it in a way that puts them, gives them at least the insights that, that most people don't have, then there's a fighting chance, you know? And, and I, so I'm, yes, uh, the answer is, I don't know exactly what the format's going to look like, but I don't, what I don't want to do is I don't want to do an event. I don't want to do an event. I want to do a consistent Sustained effort. Sustained effort that is not because what my biggest fear, and this is Morgan, what he said, like we were talking about this. My biggest fear is okay, August. The protests are down. And now what? the, The election's back on. Some some new ridiculous thing happens, and all of a sudden, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So I would, I'll go a little, a couple of things. So one, I want to make sure, and I think it's understood, but I feel like I should say it because it's the appropriate thing. It's, it's definitely about people of color. I would, it doesn't necessarily need to be African-American. Right. You know, we're mm-hmm. centered on that. But if you are Hispanic or, or Asian or any other you know, thing that, that feels um, controlling of you, then, then that's not the right word, but right. it's everybody is our point. Yep. The other, the other thing, and, and this is one thing I actually decided today, Scott, after doing my thing, and I, I would encourage you or, or challenge you, Scott, um, is that we're going to make our, our Millennial X coffee talk once a month. We're going to talk about this. Like it's already been decided. We're starting to line up people so that we can keep the dialogue going. And, it, you know, right now it's a very emotional month, right? It's very emotional. But then what do we start to do, right? How do we do things going forward, right? How do we get more 
engaged? How do we get more education, right? How do we teach people more about this qualified immunity so that when we say, call your congressman and complain, tell them what they need to fix. Yeah. Because that's the tell kind what of they need to stuff. say too. So, but of course, Scott, I'm, I'm all in on this. I, you know, you know, me, you don't even have to ask, just tell me where. Um, and, I want to, I, I want to share one thing. I forget what the video is, but I, this is the one thing that had the, there was a lot of, for people who don't think white privilege, because I, here's another, I don't know if you guys are having the same problem with or, or issue that I have. I have a lot of people who are like, you know, all lives matter. Uh, and, and, um, and I, you know, I, I talk to them about like white privilege and they're like, what do you mean? I've worked my ass off my entire life. So I, I haven't been privileged. I was poor. I was, you know what I mean? So I like, what do you mean privileged asshole? And there's this video out on the internet that I really recommend everybody watch. And it's the one with the guy that holds up the hundred dollar bill. Yeah. He holds up the hundred dollar bill and there's a line of people at the end of like a, a football field. And he says, all right, everybody, and it's black, white, women, and all that other stuff. And he's like, $100 bill, whoever, whoever wins this race gets 100 bucks. And you see everybody's ready to like, get fired up and get going, right? He goes, but first, before you do that, uh, everybody whose parents are still married, take one step forward. Everybody who's never had to worry about a meal, uh, where their next meal is coming from, take one step forward. Everybody whose parents paid for college, take one step forward. Everybody who, you know, and he goes through all these things that, that, Guys like us would completely take for advantage, you know, take for granted. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever. Like, like I worked my ass off too, but you know, and I wasn't rich. My parents like made me earn everything. But when you start putting these pieces together, what happened was at the end of that part, there was like three or four white dudes within like 10 yards of the finish line. And then all the way back, you saw women, black, you know, people of color, like all that stuff. And it was like, and the guy's like, okay, ready? Go. Who the fuck do you think is going to win this race? So that to me was the, like, it's not, yes, it, yes, of course all lives matter. But somebody gave me another analogy right now. If you walk into a neighborhood and there's five houses and one of them's on fire, do you take the hose to all five of them? No, you put the fucking hose on the one that's on fire. And right now, Black Lives Matter is on fire. So, like, we got to stop this all lives matter bullshit. Of course it does. But until this is fixed, we got to focus our energy and our efforts on this problem right now and, you know, and, and try, to, try to do something that will make an actual difference as opposed to thoughts and prayers and, you know, pe you know petitions online and all that dumb shit. Totally agree. So, um, and I love that video, Scott. It's the one I was texting you about. I don't know if you ever got a chance. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it before. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's an interesting way because we, we kind of need to wrap up, but it's weird to sort of wrap up in sort of this moment of the way <laughs> yeah. we're doing. Um, but John, obviously, as always, love you. Thank you so much. Appreciate all you do for everybody. Uh, we're glad you're here. We're, you know. Yeah. And, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. I, I know this is an uncomfortable conversations, but they got to happen. And, you know, I got to check myself because I'm mad right now. I'm just mad. I'm mad and I'm sad and I'm frustrated and I'm lashing out to quite a few people who I've, who I've tolerated and now I'm not, and I'm not doing a good enough job to Scott's example of explaining why I'm no longer talking to you, explaining why, right? I still am not going to talk to you, but let me, let me at least help you understand where I'm coming from on this. I definitely need to control my emotions. I think all of us need to, to, to keep that in check. But I also think that the, the, the idea of kindness 
is where we can all at least start. I say at the end of every one of my podcasts, no matter what happens today, no matter how bad your day went, if you can go out there and make somebody smile, you had a good day. If you can make somebody make a, even the smallest difference. I mean, there's examples of people who were like about to commit suicide and somebody just said, Hey man, how you doing today? And had a conversation with them. And all of a sudden they stopped. You know what I mean? Like they, they just that level of kindness literally pulled somebody off of a bridge. And I just wish that the, that if we could start there, you know what I mean? Of just treating people decent, then we might be able to start to build some, some things that matter. Yeah. Appreciate you joining us, John. It seems fitting that uh, you're the one that we had this conversation with yeah. on the show. Um, appreciate you, all the help that you've been in both of our lives and our careers and everything like that. Likewise, guys. Before I get out of here, I got to ask you one kind of fun, silly question. Yeah, yeah. What's up? Can I do that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I just found out yesterday, courtesy of Trish, that you have like 375,000 followers on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I just passed fifty thousand, and I was thinking, oh wow, that's a pretty good milestone. And Trish was like, "Well, we're, we're both gotta spend our whole lives trying to catch John on three hundred seventy-five. <laughs> How the hell do you even manage all the messages that come in? At uh, that level? Because this thing, I have to declare LinkedIn bankruptcy <laughs> every, every other day. So I'm wondering if if, you, if I ever get to your level, do you just is it just permanent? LinkedIn bankruptcy. How do you get that many followers? Uh, I, I was fortunate uh, early on in my career. Like when LinkedIn first came out, I was member 30,142. So, and I think the first 15,000 members, I, from what I understand, the first 15,000 were fake. So they, they, cause they wanted to show that there were people on the platform. So I was like literally one of the top 15,000 people, 20,000 people on the platform. And I didn't even know what it was when it first came out. I was like, Oh sure. Yeah. Like, yep. I'll accept that. No problem. And then what happened was I was, because I was such an early adopter then, and I was using it and whatever, when they turned the, uh, instead of you had to follow some instead, instead of having to connect with somebody, you could follow somebody. I think I was on the top of the, like, the list, if you will, when that happened. And then I just went kaboom. And so I got like 20,000 people connected. Yeah. 375 following. Um, and yeah, man, it's a full-time job. I mean, when I say I, I, I from, from nine o'clock until two o'clock in the morning, sometimes it's a lot of times I'm checking LinkedIn in mails. I, and, and it's, and so, yeah, I, I get probably about uh, 50 a day. I get 50 in mails a day. Um, you know, most of them are, Hey man, love to connect, you know, but, but now it's like, I actually go into every one of them. I check to see if somebody's actually, you know, commented or something. And I used to let them pile up once a month and then do that. But then it was like a three day marathon of me checking that type of stuff. Now I try to segment off at least like, you know, 30 minutes every day to go in there and just clean it up. And, <laughs> and I also have this one, uh, my, my, uh, uncle's kid, uh, she's now working for us as an intern and I have her going into LinkedIn and she has my login and she, all she does is she accepts all the invites and then she goes in and, and just opens up all the basic, Hey John, love to connect, you know, the ones I don't have to respond to. So when yeah. I do log in, I only got like, you know, 20 some odd that I actually have to respond it's to. a reasonable number. Yeah. Reasonable. But it's, it's, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's a, yeah. it, my in-mail inbox is like, I hate it because I already have my own inbox that I'm getting 200 mails a day in, yeah. and now I'm getting another 50 on this. I'm like, son of a bitch. If there is anybody out there who wants to create an app where I could actually respond to the LinkedIn messages in Outlook 
and track it in Salesforce, I will pay a lot of money for that. I just want to throw it out there. So, Anybody, so will a lot of people. Right? <laughs> and I got, there's got to be somebody out there that there's some sort of API that doesn't just give me the alert that there's a message in LinkedIn, but allows me to actually respond while I'm in yeah. Outlook. And then so I can track it in Salesforce. You used to be able to do that. You used to be able to reply from your email in, out, in LinkedIn. Right. Yeah, but now they want you in they there. Shut so it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, so, you get, yeah. Whoever's listening, you, they got three angel investors here willing to yep. help you out. I will put money behind that. <laughs> for trying to love that. All right, bud. Thanks All for spending right. some time with us, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Try to stay safe and try to stay sane out. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. Later.